Good morning. My name is Jordan. Uh, I'm the youth minister here at Discover, and I'm so excited to be here and share with you all this morning uh, and, and hear from the Lord. Uh, this, this subject, this is something that's in- incredibly close to my heart, not just because of, uh, of what I've been through in my life, but because of the, the people that I work with. The people that I work with are teenagers, and they are my favorite people on the earth, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can ask them. I, I love them a lot. Uh, it, but... So, so starting into this, it seems that this season uh, of joy and hope uh, is often overcome by fear, depression, and anxiety. You, and you may be thinking, well, that, that's not me. I, I, don't, I don't deal with anxiety. Uh, but the amount of susceptibility to anxiety and depression is increasing every year. Some of you may know my story of anxiety uh, and, and dealing with severe anxiety, so I have a, a personal experience or, or an insider's look, if you will, at what, what it truly is and, and what it actually looks like and, and what the roots uh, of it are. And whenever I refer to, to anxiety or depression, uh, know that I'm referring to both. So they're, they're, they're not the same thing, but they, they are uh, similar. Anxiety and depression is more common today than it has ever been before. Our teenagers uh, are more anxious today than they were during the Great Depression, both world wars, and Vietnam. This is a time when the unemployment rate was higher than any other time in our history. This was a time when these students, these high schoolers, these teenagers were being drafted, and they weren't sure if they were going to go to war or not. And they they were more anxious now than they were then. Severe anxiety starts in our children as early as age 11. And it's interesting to find that this isn't happening because of what's happening in the world. As I said, these these things that were happening, world wars and and what have you, it's not happening because of what's happening in the world. It's happening because of the way that our teenagers see the world. It's how we see the world, how we project what is happening in the world, not necessarily actually what is happening. Adults are experiencing it more and more. And it can often be perceived as this thing that, that oh, she's, she just says that she's anxious because it's like kind of cool to have anxiety. Or he says this because it's, it's, it's kind of the cool thing to have depression. Well, let me tell you from experience, it's not cool at all. Uh, it's, it's not fun at all. Uh, it's not something uh, that, the, that people are just saying, I have it because I want to be cool. It's, it's, it's an extremely difficult thing to, to work through. And as followers of Christ, Jesus, we are to live differently than we are right now in the world. And this this world of uh, of evangelical Christians uh, typically is is this world of ensuing panic. It seems as as we are often ensuing panic rather than calling for peace. And we have this view of the world uh, like everything is terrible, but like Steve said uh, last week, things are actually getting better. And why? Why? Because... There are more Christians today than there were yesterday. There are more Christians today than there were uh, before. You know, the, the, the number of, of Christ followers is increasing. But it seems that we are given this impossible task of being a light in the midst of the craziness that is this modern world. We have opposition. And we have people on our team that often make it more difficult for us. 
Well, Mary and Joseph in this story of the Christ child can relate. Let's pray. God, Father and Creator, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who enables us to experience the light of your presence even greater than Moses was able to through the Holy Spirit. We come here to worship you and you alone. Amen. So if you have your Bible today, uh, whether paper or electronically, uh, we're going to be looking at two different scriptures today. Uh, one out of Matthew and one out of 2 Corinthians. And if you don't have a Bible at all, we would love for you to have one. Uh, out of the guest reception after the service, if you'd like to pick up a Bible, if you don't have one, we'd love to give one to you, so be sure to do that. But we're going to be starting today uh, in, in Matthew chapter 1, the, the verses that we just read, verses 18 through 25. Starting in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Previously in this chapter, uh, Matthew reads through the genealogy of the line of David, the genealogy of of Jesus. This this is the the, the Davidic line. This this is something uh, that is set up throughout history. And Mary, who is pledged to marry Joseph, uh, which means this, this being pledged to marry Joseph, this means that she is actually legally bound to this man. She is legally bound to Joseph. This, this is not just a, oh, they're engaged or whatever it might be in our culture. This is Mary is legally bound to Joseph, and, and she was found to be pregnant. This, this, means, this, this means that it was pretty obvious that she was pregnant. It was pretty obvious that she was pregnant. Uh, in, in our culture, you know, if Kind of like today, when, when someone has, hasn't really announced that they, they are having a baby, but you kind of start to notice a baby bump forming. Uh, maybe they haven't posted it all over Facebook, but they've told their family and friends, no, this is not another announcement. Just get that out of your mind right away. Just, whew, that's out of here. Uh, sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, boo. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mary started to, Mary started to form a, a baby bump, right? And Joseph knew that this was something, something that was a disgrace in the culture. So in, a, in, a, in an attempt to protect her, he decided that he was going to leave her quietly. Because, uh, again, even though they hadn't, hadn't been married yet, they were already legally bound. And it says that Joseph was a righteous man. We immediately see uh, that this word, you know, righteous, isn't necessarily pointing to law following. In the NIV, it says faithful. This wasn't pointing to he was a follower of the law. This was saying Joseph was a merciful person. Joseph was someone of grace, and Joseph wanted to help Mary. Let's continue in reading in verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
in the midst of this indecision that Joseph was having, an angel appears. And it seems that if every time that an angel appears in the Bible, uh, it, it, they're there to mess with someone's plans, right? Joseph, Joseph's like, well, I'm going to do this, and this is what I'm going to do. I had it in my mind to, to make this happen. And then the angel appears, and well, guess what, Joseph? You're wrong. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, it, and something that I encourage people to do uh, is if they're trying to make a decision, what, what should I do? Should I do this or this? And well, maybe take one road, and then if an angel smacks you in the face, then you know uh, that that's probably not the right way. Uh, that might not happen, you, but if you get lucky, uh, that, that could happen. Anyway, th- this angel uh, appears to Joseph in something right off the bat, uh, and says something right off the bat that's super intriguing to this story. The angel says, Here, here's the deal, Joseph. This is the, the Jordan version of the Bible. Here's the deal, Joseph. You're in the line of David. You know what that means? Joseph would have known the prophecies of Jesus, especially because it involves his family name. It was promised that the Messiah would be born of Davidic lineage. And and right away, this, this angel has his attention. The angel proceeds to tell Joseph that he needs not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. And Joseph probably had no previous thoughts uh, of, of Mary other than that she probably had relations with another man. Because how else would this come about? How else would this happen? And the, and the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is of God. The angel brings this to, it, to, to Joseph's attention that this, this child is of God. Now hold on. Joseph's, Joseph's probably thinking, wait, if this, isn't the, if this isn't the Messiah, or if this is the Messiah, doesn't he have to be of my blood? Doesn't he have to be from my line? Doesn't he, in my family, like he has to be of my bloodline? The angel says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, get over yourself. Joseph, get over yourself. Now it's time to go help Mary. The angel tells him that he will be called Jesus. Jesus is the Greek translation of the name Joshua or Yeshua. And, and this, this name means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh saves. God saves. He will be called Jesus because he will save his people. His people being the whole world as promised by the prophets, from their sins, the whole world from their sins. In Psalm 130, the psalmist writes uh, that God will save the world himself. He will take it upon himself to save the world. Joseph, in the midst of this panic and indecision, is told the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and that he will be the earthly father of the Son of God. Joseph is told that he, he's going to be this earthly father of God, and he's probably like, well, I'm not qualified for that, right? That's, that's silly. I, there's no way that I could do that. So continuing in verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So scripture sidebar uh, the, the confusing thing here for Joseph is that the word virgin that's used in Isaiah, ch- Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says the virgin will conceive uh, the, the son, Jesus. 
this word here could have been translated as a woman of marriageable age or a young woman. So I, I don't know if this is what Joseph actually thought, but it's possible that Joseph could have had no idea that this was actually supposed to be a virgin birth. So he's probably thrown off. God, as God does, he threw a curveball. Uh, also, Matthew, having experienced the ascension at this point, so when, when Jesus goes up to heaven, he, he experienced that as, as, as a disciple bef- before he wrote all this down before this was spoken and written down. So he would know the true meaning of God with us, Emmanuel. So he's not just talking about Emmanuel, God with us, this physical child coming to earth. We don't, we don't light these candles to say, God with us, we're excited for a baby to come to earth. Yes, we are excited for a baby to earth, but we are also super excited that God is with us till the end of the age and that he has promised to come back. He's promised to return. And he says, when he, when he ascends, he says, I will come back the same way I left. And, and Matthew has seen this happen. So, so when he says God with us, Matthew's like super excited. Let's continue in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph wakes up and immediately responds to the command of God. And here's the deal. We, we need to be ready to respond to God's commands. We need to be ready. Mary had this impossible task. Impossible task. She was going to be publicly disgraced because, because she was having a child out of wedlock. Not, not to mention the difficulty of childbearing just in general, Right? This, this thing that, that women are called to do is incredibly difficult. And on top of that, she's called to do it out of wedlock, in the, in the public eye, and be disgraced. We often forget how unbelievably strong Mary was. Mary is. She, she's she's ready, ready to help, though. Then we have Joseph, who has no idea how to help her. <laughs> Let's face it, guys. When it comes to... Uh, any kind of discomfort, we aren't the most uh, nurturing uh, beings, right? Sometimes, you know, stop crying. <laughs> that, that doesn't help. <laughs> um, I don't know from experience, uh, I hope. Uh, anyway, they were, both willing to re- they were both willing and ready to respond, even though they weren't actually ready. But guess what? God was ready. God was ready. Or we're gonna have a we're gonna have a truth talk uh, here for a few minutes. Uh, coming from a background of anxiety, as I said, I kind of know the roots of anxiety. Uh, anxiety is all about me, 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 me. And it's our culture is all about me too, right? Our culture is all about me, and the issue with that is we need to be all about God. We need to be all about God. 
When we come here on Sunday mornings into this building, it seems as if we come here expecting to leave with some kind of self-help nugget. Like, like when we walk out the door, we're going to be handed a Life for Dummies book, and, and we'll go and, and we'll do that challenging thing from this week. Oh, yes, I was challenged to do this, and I, I, I hope that is true. But it, it always ends up being about us in our minds somehow. And let's, let's face it, our culture uh, leads us to be extremely arrogant and self-focused people. And that, that's the harsh truth. I go on Facebook to share my ideas. I watch my favorite news outlets. Everyone should live up to my standards. You should believe what I believe. My church, my friends, my house, my family. Here's the truth. We come here to experience Christ. The only reason that we come here is to experience the body of Christ, people corporately worshiping God. And the mystery of this worship of God is that, you ex- is that if you experience the presence of Jesus, the presence and power of Jesus, you'll end up learning something about yourself. In John chapter 4, Jesus talks about this idea of living water. He's talking to a Samaritan woman about this idea of living water. And he doesn't say that this well, this well that we can tap into is tips and tricks for life. It's not a, a book of answers saying, this, this is how I should approach this situation. This well, the, this living water, is the presence of the resurrected, reigning King Jesus the Christ. When we approach his presence, we experience, uh, as written in a new worship song that I'm growing fond of called Reckless Love, we experience the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. So think about this. When we come here, when we come into this place, we focus on Jesus, not ourselves. Well, that's obvious. When we share the gospel, we speak of Jesus and not our ideas. Paul actually writes a letter to the church in Corinth with this, this same concern. So if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are earthen vessels in which the gospel and light of Christ is entrusted. We are this ugly, broken, dirty, and worn vessel that carries the unbelievable beauty of the light of Christ. This light that can go forth and eliminate any shadow because the darkness cannot deny it. This is the gospel of Christ. This gospel is the light, and and the darkness can't deny it. Breaks into our prisons here on on earth, and it breaks into the darkness, and, and it can't do anything about it. The darkness can't do anything about it because the power of Christ is so great. And we need to recognize that. We need to point to that. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, 
Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are cornered, but never driven to surrender. Never totally at a loss. And knocked down to the ground, but never grounded. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Listen closely to this. Death is our daily companion. As long as we live here, death is our daily companion. Yes, we're in this place that's not our home. But we still live here. We live in this place that was filled with so much beauty at creation. But now it seems so run down and gross. But Paul mentions in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians, he mentions uh, that we still need to please God no matter what. We need to see the beauty of the light of Christ in the mess of our lives. We have this constant companion of death or in my case, and many others, anxiety. My story is uh, never being able to be in public. There was a point in my life where I couldn't ever go out in public without having uh, a panic attack. I couldn't be alone for too long with my schoolwork uh, because I would start to freak out. I couldn't get anything done. My freshman year of high school, I didn't have any friends, and I don't remember really anything from that year because I blocked most of it out. Uh, but my mom told me uh, that she would come home when I, I, would come from, I would come home from school and she would come in the door and I would be watching TV or playing video games or whatever it might be and my hands would just shake. And I had no idea this was happening. My hands would just shake. I was terrified to lead worship There weren't many Sundays that I wouldn't uh, feel like I was going to throw up before the service or completely freak out. And the crushing truth that this fear will never go away kept pounding on top of me. But I was crushed. But never abandoned. Never abandoned. This fear, this death, will never go away as long as I live here. But we have to choose life. We have to choose for ourselves life. We have to choose to live in this light every day. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't have anxiety. My question for you is, how are you causing it? We can all be guilty of this. Maybe it's crazy expectations we set. What channel is your TV on in the house? Maybe you talk about the worries of the world all the time. Our kids are exposed to more panic than ever before. We have these crazy expectations with sports, college tuition, figuring out what they want to do in life before they need to. And somewhere lost in the pile of our to-do lists, our priorities is Jesus. Somewhere lost in this pile amongst the, the, the trash is Jesus. Again, you might not have anxiety, but but how can you setting the priority of Jesus as the unquestionable first 
affect the people around you. And here's the truth. Life in the midst of death, life in the midst of death is hope. Let's continue reading verse 12. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. The deeper the trials that we experience, the richer the experience of joy. The outcome of this is that we believe greater. Therefore, we share that with others. We believe greater, therefore we share that with others. All of this, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. The truth in this scripture is this. The greatest thing that can happen to me is God being glorified. The greatest thing that can happen to my life is God being glorified, God being thanked, God being praised, God being acknowledged. We might not be ready or feel ready, but God is. God's ready to work in you. My story isn't actually my story because Jesus has invited me into his story. And you might be thinking that you're not in a place to do that. You're not in a place where you're able to respond to God's calling by following him unswervingly. Was Mary? Was Joseph? Regardless, they they responded by following the command. My task is impossible. While that may be true for you, our calling is so much bigger than our 80 years or so of life here on this earth. Because we are called into the story of God. The story of Jesus. We've been singing this song for the past couple of weeks called Glory in the Highest. And the cool thing about this Advent season and Christmas season is that even though we're talking about a baby, as, as I've mentioned before, we're also looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. The, the God with us, Emmanuel, as he has promised, he's risen and reigning. There are words uh, to this, this song that say, you are God and you will reign. So we can sing, we can praise, we can be thankful. We look to the truth that Christ is the reigning king. If you are in a place of darkness, it seems you can't find the beauty of the light of Christ, then we need to pray about that. We need to ask God to show you how to find it. Where to look. If you're someone who's struggling with this constant companion, I encourage you to come forward. Uh, If you've never experienced that light, if you have not made a decision to follow Christ, then I encourage you to come forward as well. Christ is inviting you to enter into the greatest relationship, the greatest story that you can be a part of. We're going to sing this song, Glory in the Highest. And I encourage you to sing these words challenging yourself to be ready to understand what that means for your life.
Ask God to show you what his command is for your life. How is he calling you to bring life in the midst of death? How is he calling you to be ready and to be hope? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this opportunity to come here and hear from your word. God, I pray that we would truly believe that the greatest thing that could happen in our lives is for you to be glorified. God, we lean on you this morning and, and knowing as we're, we're getting ready to leave this place, I pray that you would, uh, that you would place that calling and make, make, it, uh, make it confident and, and well-known. God, I, pl- I pray that we would place our confidence and trust in you. Let's stand and sing.